This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. You're listening to the Knowledge at Wharton podcast. I'm Steve Goyomi, Editorial Director for Knowledge at Wharton. It's logical to say that our charity dollars would do the most good if we donated them to organizations that were the most effective, that is, if we treated them like investments. But it turns out that's not how people generally behave when it comes to charitable giving. Warden marketing professor Deborah Small has co-authored a paper on that very topic. Her research looks at why people resist treating charities like investments and what the implications are for donors and charitable organizations. Deborah's here in the studio today. Deborah, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Steve. It seems like many of us rely much more on our hearts than our minds when it comes to picking charities. What is it about acting with our emotions that causes problems when it comes to charitable giving? The emotions we feel about causes aren't necessarily directed towards the causes that for which our dollars can do the most good. So, for instance, in the U.S., it costs over $40,000 to train a single seeing eye dog for the blind, yet people really want to support this cause. However, you can save a child's life in much of the developing world by donating to the charity Against Malaria for under $4,000, yet people seem less sympathetic towards this cause or less motivated to support this cause, yet they could ultimately do more good if they chose causes for which the impact of their dollars went the furthest. What is it that you think is getting in the way when they're making this decision then to, 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 to put their money behind one charity or another? What is it that's sort of clouding their, their understanding? I think that people want to support causes for which they feel a personal connection. And beyond that, they think it's morally appropriate to do so. They think that this is the right way to choose charities. And so it's not as if, uh, for them, it's not that charity is, is, is something for which there's an objectively better answer. They think of it in much more of a subjective sense, such as, you know, what sort of food do you prefer? Do you prefer to eat Italian food or sushi? What, chari- what type of charity person are you? Are you a breast cancer person or are you a lung cancer person? Now, there's a, philosoph- a famous philosopher at Princeton, uh, Peter Singer, who wrote a book called The Life You Can Save, and which, which spawned a, a movement called the Effective Altruism Movement. And this movement has been spreading, but in very narrow, shall we say, circles. So it's actually been spreading among economists and philosophers and people in the finance world. And why that might be the case? Well, I think it's because those are, those are professions in which people are used to thinking in terms of maximizing utility or thinking about the return on the invest, uh, return on investment of, of each dollar spent, um, but it turns out that most people don't think that way about charity. They think of it in this more subjective, personal sense. Right. What and what is it that you think causes them to to be so subjective about it? Why why are people not concerned with maximizing the value of their their donation to a charity versus, say, maximizing an investment? So with charity, it's not that they're not concerned about the impact of their dollars. In fact, we find that if you give uh, participants in a study a number of charity options, and they're all directed towards the same cause. So for instance, you can think there's several different organizations that support uh, the environment, several organizations that support breast cancer. So if you give them a choice of donating to one of those, uh, to one of a number of organizations that all support the same general cause, 
and you provide them with effectiveness information, they will choose the most effective one. So they, they know a good deal when they see it. But if you give them a choice set that consists of a variety of different types of causes, so say in this case, both the environment and breast cancer, many different types of cancer, and you provide that same information on effectiveness, and you make it really easy for them to understand that information. Those are the cases in which people ignore the effectiveness information. And the reason is because they're just, they, they care about it, but not enough to sacrifice their own personal preferences when, when choosing a cause to support. Is that one of the experiments you did? That was exactly one of the experiments we did, yes. And that's what we found is that in mixed choice sets, people chose the cause they preferred and didn't choose the the, the uh, utility-maximizing option. Um, however, if all of the causes in the choice set were the same, um, then people would choose the one that had the greatest impact. Did any of these, uh, these sort of outcomes surprise you from the research? Yeah, so uh, I think the, the this is consistent with our, our general theorizing and with things I found in the past, um, I guess what surprised me the most is that in these studies, we made it so easy for people to choose, you know, the quote unquote right answer that, you know, we gave them, for instance, in studies, we gave them a rating scale of charities and we described the rating scale as, as, as uh, you know, higher scores mean this charity does more good. So every choice option they said was clearly labeled with the rating of that cause. Um, so, Again, really easy for for uh, participants in the study to get the answer right, and they just don't most for the most part they don't use that information, and, and and I think that's what we learned is that that's because they just don't see that as relevant for this type of this decision. They see it as very relevant for a decision between financial investments, um, but not so relevant for this uh, charity decision. So, so what are some of the practical implications then for people who are giving money to charities? Is is there is there room to use your emotions or to go with your heart in making these kinds of decisions? Yeah. So, uh, the effective the, the the strict version of the effective altruism movement would say no. That and and according to that logic, you sh- you really should discount your own personal feelings, your attachments, your emotions, your um, your personal experiences. We find in other research that people give a lot to causes for which they have personal experience. So for instance, if you had a family member or a friend who died of a particular illness, people that, that is a strong predictor of, of where people choose to give. They want to give to support that, that illness for which they have personal experience. So the effective altruism movement says this is not ethically appropriate, um, but we might start to think about a, a kind of a compromise uh, approach to charitable giving in which we recognize the human side of this as well as the desire to maximize effectiveness. And and that compromise version might go something like, um, you know, look for, for causes that you, that you personally care about because if, if, if we ignore that altogether, then people might not be motivated to, to give, give their money at all. And so, uh, so if if we're kind of more lenient on that on that um, aspect and let people choose the causes that they support, but then really leverage effectiveness information to help them find the best organizations um, within that cause that they that they care about, then 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 we can at least approach something that the effective altruists are looking for. Right. So then, what about the organizations themselves? What could they do better 
to help consumers. The charities? Yeah, the charities themselves. Yeah, so I think that the, the charities also need to kind of consider both doing the right thing and also the marketing marketing to human beings who aren't always rational actors. And so um, by that, I think that charities are, have, have an ethical obligation uh, to be transparent mm-hmm. to their consumers about the impact that they can provide and the, the cost effectiveness of the services that they deliver. Um, yet, if they don't market towards consumers' hearts or towards donors' hearts, then they're not going to be a competitive organization. If you want to think of them as like a business, they have to compete. There's hundreds, thousands probably of charity options that exist for consumers. And so they need to recognize the importance of marketing to uh, the, the, the things that people actually care about, which, which are, you know, what do people care about? They care about kind of personal stories. They care about relationships. They care about the, the more humanizing aspect of charity, not just crunching the numbers. Right. So where where are you thinking of going next with this research? Well, I keep uh, observing the effect of altruism movement, and it keeps giving me uh, new ideas for research questions. So most recently with a Wharton doctoral student, Josh Lewis, we have been we, – we recognize that uh, oftentimes charities present effectiveness information in terms of the cost of a unit of impact. So that would be something like the cost of saving a life. Uh, the cost of a mosquito net, the cost of a pair of shoes, cost of a pair of eyeglasses, go, you can go on and on. And there's a problem with that. Um, the problem with that is that when people see the costs of a unit, they want to give exactly that amount. They want to provide a unit. So, for instance, if a malaria mosquito net, a ma- malaria prevention mosquito net costs a dollar, donors tend to give a dollar. If it costs 50 cents they give 50 cents. And so as a result of that, when the cost of the malaria net is cheaper, it's 50 cents, they're actually giving less. And this is a case in which they could do more good. And so you see that the, there's, there's a bias here that results in uh, giving in an ineffective pattern when you're providing that form of cost-effectiveness information. Yet with Josh, we discovered a way to remedy this bias, and the remedy involves reframing the information. So rather than saying the cost of a mosquito net or any unit of impact, we reframe it as the number of units of impact per dollar amount. So it's the same information, but just reframe. So in the example from before, that would be a mosquito net. Uh, for a dollar, you can get a mosquito net in the first case, or for a dollar, you can get two mosquito nets. And when you reframe the same information in that way, you find that people are making more effective choices. Oh, that's really helpful. I, I'll definitely use my mind the next time I choose a charity. Good. <laughs> um, well, thanks for thanks very much for joining us, Deborah. Really Thank you. Really appreciate it. Uh, and thanks for listening, everyone. If you like what you heard, you can visit us online at knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. And you can also find all of our podcasts like this one on iTunes. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.